This is a Federal News Network podcast. With the war in Ukraine adding to inflation, military service members are starting to really feel the squeeze. The largest annual study of military families say they're desperate for second incomes. But that can be tough for spouses to find that job. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni joins me with the latest. And Scott, let's talk about military spouse unemployment. That's been a persistent issue now for so many years. How does it stand? Yeah, well, right now there's a lot of military spouses that are unemployed. If you look at the labor force at this point, it's a 3.8% unemployment. However, 20% of military spouses in the labor force alone are unemployed. And then if you Combine that, there's 42% of military spouses who reported that they're just not in the labor force looking for employment. So uh, this is quite a large disparity compared to what the national average is. And then we hear from military active duty service members is that 43% of them say that spousal unemployment is the biggest issue for them. And that's because they want to be financially secure. Dual incomes are needed for that in some situations, especially in areas like San Diego or Norfolk, Virginia, where it gets quite expensive and they want to establish roots and contribute to their communities. But that gets hard when you have the unique demands of being in the military service and serving and sacrificing along with your service member. And this annual study conducted by... Blue Star Families, and this is really a study of over 8,000 different military service members' families together. So it's quite a large study. It's something they've been doing for quite a few years. And it's the biggest indicator that we have of military families and how they actually feel about a lot of domestic-type issues. And on that spousal employment front, what is the big obstacle? What is so tough about finding jobs for spouses? It's really a variety of factors. One of the things, uh, first of all, is that military service members need to move sometimes every two years, uh, often every two years. And it's just really hard to hold down a job. Now, the pandemic's actually helped with that by creating a more uh, remote, friendly opportunities for working. However, it's still not always easy, especially if you need to be certified in your state for something or you're just working, let's say, as a nurse, you know, you need to be in an actual hospital. Uh, the second thing I, I just brought up, which is there's a, an issue with licensing. So if you're a therapist or even a hairdresser and you move from Maryland to California, well, you need to be relicensed for that. And then thirdly, there's a lot of combining factors. These factors are things like childcare. So military families in this study said that childcare is a humongous issue for them. A third of active duty spouses reported that the expense of childcare is the reason that they are not going into the workforce. And 24% of active duty service members said that they can't find childcare that fits a situation for them. So, uh, you know, a lot of military spouses are just staying home purely because they need to take care of the children that they have and the financial or time issues that they're they're working with just simply aren't meshing with the lifestyle that they have. That licensing issue, if you are this or that trade in one place and you move to another state and that license is not recognized, I remember Michelle Obama urging employers to try to get around that. That's how far back that issue goes, maybe before that, but no real movement there. There has been small incremental movement over time. There's been these conglomerates of corporations that have come together or industries that have come together and said, okay, we'll give you reciprocity between uh, these number of states, but 
it hasn't necessarily worked for every career. Uh, Congress has tried to lubricate this issue and make it easier for states to work in between each other so that they can bring in different sorts of certifications. But it hasn't been solved completely and still continues to be an issue for military spouses and other people who have to move often with their spouse. And so that renders the military family one income, and at the lower ranks, they don't get paid all that much. So what does the Blue Star Survey say about finances right now of military families? Right. Well, financial issues, as, as you just brought up, are especially hard for lower enlisted ranks. Two-thirds of military families say currently they have unreimbursed costs for their last permanent change of station move. Half of those expenses were more than $1,000. And then we've heard from military families and from recent studies in the past year from the agriculture department that military families are dealing with a lot of food insecurity at those lower ranks. And that moves into other issues of mental health, actual nutrition for family members and and people who are there. So these people are what they call marginally food insecure. It encompasses individuals who report any indication of compromised economic access to food themselves. And part of that problem is that military service members are not eligible for SNAP benefits. So in the most recent NDAA, we've seen that they have created a program where the Secretary of Defense can give service members a basically a universal basic income to pay for these smaller expenses, things like utilities or things like food, diapers and and things that you need to take care of children or your family. Yeah, I saw the price of it's been, you know, 30 years since I've needed a diaper for a child, but goodness, they are expensive. <laughs> That's a that big package <laughs> will set you back some nowadays, even more than the beer. In all of these thousands of pages of legislation, is there anything Defense Department or Congress is asking Defense Department or is Congress doing about this? Right. Well, as we mentioned, they're working on the reciprocity issue. They're also at least suggesting that the Department of Defense create this universal income for some service members. There's other smaller implications that are within the service. The Air Force recently it's recently announced its Five and Thrive program, and this is really to help with spousal unemployment, other areas of concern as well, and to keep people educated. That includes child care, health care, issues along those lines with with mental health and and that that sort of thing. So the Thrive team publishes a monthly spouse situation report to communicate and share information with military spouses, keep them abreast of policy changes at the higher level and how that's going to trickle down to those individual families and change their situation. And did the survey reveal any other stressors of families besides the finances, which is a pretty big one? Yeah, every year they talk about their their top five stressors. And some of the biggest ones that are continually and annually on this list include the amount of time away from family. The military service services have been working on this and trying to give more lead time into PCSs and bring down that operational tempo. Operational tempo is when you send service members overseas at, at a certain pace. Uh, other issues are uh, dependent children's education. They want to ensure that the communities they move into have good education, uh, the impact of deployment on family, a- and the infrastructure that the military families are living in. We heard a lot about military housing over the past few years. Federal News Network, Scott Mossione, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley. 
the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks um, as part of her job. She worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 
12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on What does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the the, probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, You know, there are not a lot of us. Um, You know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And 
you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.